there, hey there, hi there to the Ubi Sinks, aka the Sinkos, aka Bear Den Nation, aka Dear listeners, guten tag, que pasa y bienvenidos, and welcome back to Uber Cinco. If you're returning to the den, you know the drill, and I hope you brought some salmon because we're hungry for top fives, and this is going to be festive. This is Uber Cinco, the podcast where we deep dive top fives. I'm Mitch Brinkman, your host for today, and our matchup, you know them. You've heard them, hopefully. And here they are, the guy who brought you two girls, one sampler platter, and a bad date. It's Brian. The moon landing was real. Ernst, say hello, Brian. hey That's me. Moon landing's real. <laughs> <laughs> that is a shocking, shocking um, uh, opinion to have, I have to say. But um, moving right along. And the producer of the tawdry thriller from Milan to Minsk, it's Nathan. How wide does that umbrella open? Pen and Fent, Nathan. <laughs> Good day, sir. How are you? Good day. Couldn't be better. Excellent. I um, mean, I could be better in many, many ways, but we'll just go with fine. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, don't feel the need to tell the truth. Just, yeah, lie and let's move on. Cool. All right. Today, our contestants will reveal and defend their top five historical periods to visit. This is your first time in the Uber Cinco Den. Bear with and let us wake you out of hibernation with a quick rundown of the rules. Each player in the den has spent time with today's topic, arranging their top five answers in order of importance. Those answers have been submitted to the host who will moderate the game, awarding points to the player with the most poignant answer. Starting with their number five choice, we'll move up the ranks until we reach each of their top answers. But. If both contestants happen to have the same answer on their list, well, we have an Uber, Uber stand-out. You will hear the official Uber Cinco siren, and both players must reveal their answer and what number they ranked their submission. An Uber stare-down is all or nothing, with one player earning three points. After all answers have been read, the host will reveal the final score. Also, a very intense reminder. Don't forget to stick with us until the end of the show where I, Mitch Brinkman, will give you my Fast Five send-off where I'll blow you to the moon with my Fast Five Billie Eilish-style nightshirts. <laughs> now, as host, I'm entitled to institute a house rule, and for today's game, which is inspired by a people's history of the United States, so anytime you guys hear me say, Howard's in! Stop, and I'll challenge an inaccurate generalization that has been made about a certain time period or historical figure. You'll have 15 seconds to defend your statement, and if done poorly, you will be dinged a point, of course. But if you make me look like a pompous hog, well, you'll gain a point with your prehensile mind. So do your periods justice and present history well. And with that preamble, it was predetermined by the pre-show thumb war that acted as a preview of today's battle. Brian, you've been pre-selected to present your preempting number five historical period to visit, which predates present time, of course. Brian, proceed, Nathan. All right. So uh, I'm going to be a little bit of a hypocrite as I go through my list for the day because certain choices on my list would affect other actions as I move through history. So bear with me. But I'm choosing times in history that interest me and where hopefully my modern knowledge would have made a difference, of course, before I either get shot, hacked, or murdered in some other creative way during this time period. Sure. Or it's just a time I want to know more about. So number five is ancient Egypt, specifically 2570 B.C., 
in the middle of construction of the Great Pyramids of Giza. So I don't know if you guys knew this, but I went through a huge Egyptian phase uh, around fifth or sixth grade. I swear Sorry, to God. no. Oh, so I thought I thought you had gone through the phase while we knew you, and we just no, missed no, no. it. And I was like, oh, I feel bad now. But uh, <laughs> I would have I would have remembered that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm walking uh, everywhere. Where's the, the Egyptian? No, Brian. So, uh, Brian, way too much cat eye. Way too much cat eye makeup. Um, <laughs> but Ra, the sun god, said I should do it. Um, so I used to tape like Discovery Channel specials on King Tut and the Nile on VHS and I would mark them and label them and keep them organized, ready to go. I would take books out of the library about ancient Egypt and then I would bring them over to my friend's house because his parents were lawyers and I could make copies of the book for free in their basement and copy machine. Uh, so it was borderline obsessive at this time in my life. So it stands with the reason that this time period would make my list and I chose it because I have to know how the pyramids were built. I mean, this specific time, 25, uh, 2570 BC, is supposedly right in the middle of construction. So they would have t- had time to get their processes right, mm-hmm. uh, get them in order to where they were most likely at their most efficient of tossing slaves and limestone at the project until it was done. So I just need to mm-hmm. make sure I can see what technology that they were using. Uh, that's my most curious thought. And then I want to see if the theory that the pyramids were power generators has any legs. So, oh, tell me about that theory. I'm not. I'm not familiar with that one. Is this so, a conspiracy theory? It sounds like one. They're trying to figure it out because the the Great Pyramids, as they stand, do not have the same elaborate innards that either yeah. smaller pyramids or other graves of royalty had. So there's a lot less space for treasure. There's not as many uh, supposedly art on the walls in in these certain chambers. So one of the theories are that they were used as a giant battery. So the the pyramids Hmm. as they stand right now is actually the inner layer of the pyramid. And there used to be giant limestone on the outside that insulated the inside. And Hmm. granite was in the inside. And granite is slightly radioactive. And they think there was a way of possibly generating a few volts of power from either sun radiation, heat radiation. I don't know how it was, but somehow it kind of ties to the the theory of the remember the Baghdad battery that they found. Um, It was some sort of ancient Mesopotamia thing, too. And it looked like it had a cylinder inside some sort of salt water. And like they were determining Uh. that they maybe figured out a way to generate a little bit of electricity with these giant vases that they make like when you say a little bit of electricity so how much could they like could they turn on like a nightlight what's my i i don't know i've dove this far into it i would say it's probably not much more than a power a light bulb yeah seems like it'd be easier you'd have to find a better way than hundreds of years of brutal slave labor to, to just get a a light bulb going. Yeah, so we'd have to deepen that, but then an earthquake in 1303 knocked off this limestone that was around it, and they reused it for other things, and nobody kept track of where they moved these to. So there's no real way of studying the insulation, whatever. But either way, to go against your Howard Zinn theory of this would be more of America, but for Egypt, I saw a Guardian article from 2010 that said one guy thought that the builders weren't slaves, because they found a bunch of burial sites for workers in which they were treated in a different way than you would have uh, treated like a slave grave. Like they were like buried with honors 
um, because they helped build this for the royalty. So I was like kind of interested whether that theory has legs too. It'd be cool to mm. see all the stuff that we don't know about. Now, my my, my sixth grade um, history textbook is making me want to scream Howard's in you, but that does sound... That, that sounds that sounds uh, right. Like I'm 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 convinced. I think that's that's very interesting. I I, I know so little about ancient Egypt. And I'm so trying to think of, of we're talking four thousand years ago. There's yeah. with not a lot of written records still around, which is pretty, yeah. Pretty yeah. Cool there's a there's a little just random fact I've come across on the internet that makes you think about time and in, in a different way, which is that Cleopatra, probably the most famous ancient egyptian she lived closer to the present day when this is being recorded than she did to when the pyramids were constructed so that's how long ago it was like oh yeah she's closer to you and i than so how long the ancient egyptian reign lasted yeah could the could this electricity being generated on the inside right the inside core of the pyramid technically some, some some sort of funneling down to a central point could it be what that is we don't know could it be like a weird um honestly like a weird uh fun house sex thing where you get drunk and then you go in there and you and you touch a thing that that sparks you up and you go ooh, that would ooh, be ooh, ideal. hello that would be ideal if i had to make a guess what they were using it for they figured out how to electroplate so coating things in gold silver mm. things like that if i had to guess what they used it for that would have been my theory. Like, hey, let's just coat this piece of nickel in gold so it's not solid gold, so we can use the rest of the gold for other shit. Yeah. But who knows? Um, a couple of no. weeks ago, uh, in a, an online trivia game that uh, I play with uh, some friends, I did a round where I asked my brother-in-law a series of questions that he could never get right, and then just had people guess whether it, I gave the right answer or his. And one of them was how many blocks are in the Great Pyramid of Giza. So if you guys want to just take a quick stab, each of you, how many blocks in the Great Pyramid of Giza? I do know the right answer. Just toss toss some numbers at me. Well, like, this is just one pyramid, right? Because our, our, This is the, the largest okay. of the pyramids, yeah. I'll let Mitch go first. I'm going to say 9,300. Right. I would guess higher in the 20s, more like 25,600. 2.3 million. Holy! Wow. Can we swear on this podcast? Fuck yeah! Can. <laughs> oh fuck! Holy buckets! Sorry, I didn't mean to say buckets so hard there, but wow! And, and each one of those probably would have been like a multi-feet by multi-feet rectangle at least. I think I think most of the time. the one as they went higher, it goes down. But but also you don't see all of them because there's that's so many on the the inside of the structure as well. Yeah, yeah. It's a staggering amount of. That's a, that's I would yeah. not have guessed that high. That's crazy. Wow. And for so for every five blocks put in place, you have one dead worker probably. So that's yeah. like four hundred thousand yeah. dead that, guys. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot of dead people buried with honors, though buried with <laughs> honors. Hopefully, so, we like to. Think well, that yes. makes yeah. that makes it all worth it. I think being buried with honors would be being buried in a fucking pyramid, but it's just me. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, we got all these dead guys. We got to build another pyramid for them. <laughs> Shit. Like, let's, it's going to be let's another get, let's get two, more, two million more dudes in here. Let's go. <laughs> be another uh, okay. 40 years before we put these 10 guys to rest. <laughs> so, so you want to unlock the great secrets of the pyramids. I love that. Great. Very nice. Nathan, let's move it right along to your number five. Uh, 
Yeah, I, I would want to go to ancient Rome, specifically the time of Julius Caesar and then the passing of power over to Augustus Caesar. That's it. There we go. There, yay! <laughs> ancient oh, Rome. We've got an uber stare down, boys. Now, what's interesting, this is the first time I think this has ever happened. Uh, where a number five has to stare down with a number one. So, yes, uh, Brian, you better you better get your horses ready to run, boy, because uh, you won't have that three points sitting there to try and make that comeback late in the game. <sighs> Nathan, you go first. Well, a lot starts uh, in ancient Rome. Uh, there's a famous Monty Python bit about what have the Romans done for us, and it's... Uh, <laughs> You know, the the roads and the aqueducts and the running water and the central air. And it goes on and on and on of so much agricultural stuff. And so, first of all, I would want to see just how modern ancient Rome actually was, how comfortable it was for, for the upper classes. Obviously, it was sure. going to be terrible for the poor people, but uh, <laughs> yeah. but all of history is. Yeah. And uh, then I, the, the characters from this era more than any other characters from that far back in history or even like a thousand years further ahead just seems so alive to all of us. I think we all have an idea of who Julius Caesar was and what he was like and Mark Antony and Cleopatra and the love triangle, uh, several other like philosophers and uh, like, you know, Cicero was a Senator at the time. All these people that they've been portrayed on film and in TV so many times uh, in so many different variations and to actually meet these people would just be fascinating to be present at the actual assassination of Julius Caesar, see how that went down. And and going off of that is you wouldn't see this at the time because this was Rome sort of rising to its absolute peak, but to also see the signs of, you know, this is Rome fell, you know, the Roman empire and civilization eventually declined. Mm -hmm. And that seems to be a cycle in history and one we might be living through right now. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. just to kind of pick up on what, while all of this, this great achievement in architecture uh, was going on, you know, the arts and the music and the technology, something was rotten somewhere. And being able to, to sense that would be pretty amazing. And then the, the final thing uh, before I let Brian uh, say his piece on it is uh the idea of parentage in history. So Caesar allegedly fathered a child with Cleopatra. And that just seems incredibly convenient. Um, and a lot of things in history like that seem very convenient. And the, the TV show Rome, for anybody who hasn't seen it, the final episode kind of ties everything together about that in a very cool way. And I won't give it away, but, but it, it just it makes me think a lot about, you know, you talk about the lineage of different royalty and anything. It's like, well, here's the king and queen and their offspring was this and their offspring was this. And my question is, how do you know who is fucking the queen? Like, this is just, <laughs> it's complete. If we could have Mori Povich and his DNA tests and saying, you know, oh, you said you fucked the queen. The test says that's a lie. Like, I, I think uh, a lot of this stuff would be thrown into chaos and uh, I think the most interesting and intriguing uh, place to start that investigation would be with Caesar and Cleopatra and Mark Antony uh, 
I would love to have been there. It makes for great entertainment from Shakespeare all the way to HBO. I would love to see it in person. Um, I, you know, I, I actually, I just, I just got a, an email here from uh, uh, history uh, now. And it says that Julius Caesar was assassinated uh, uh, with, with a knife um, by professor pickles in the olive oil closet. So um, <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not. I've never seen this website that I just got an email from, but that might be a thing. So um, does that, does that sound right? I, I don't know. Um as did it say it was in the month of March? It, as long as it's got that, I believe it. <laughs> it says it says it was it was in the eyes of March, whatever that is. The eyes, so, yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, okay, now I, I'm I'm curious about okay, aqueducts. Those are great. Those are fun. Um, yeah, who doesn't love an aqueduct? <laughs> right? Yeah, no, those, those are amazing. Those are amazing. Uh, it, it was was this also the same area that the um, Hanging Gardens of Salonica were built? Was that was that in this? That was, was that, uh, that would have been in Babylon, so Middle East, I believe. Oh, that was Babylon. Oh, okay. I believe, yeah. But but they benefited from the aqueduct. Maybe probably design said plants. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. I'm 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 reaching here. Obviously. <laughs> um, now my in my in my reading and um, you know the research on this topic, my favorite Caesar was Marcus Aurelius personally. Um, yeah, he was actually such, mine too. He was such a nice guy. He yeah. was, he was all about, you know, philosophy and he was, you know, it was like the beginning of uh, was it the stoicism or whatever, the stoics, mm-hmm. um, beautiful guy. I believe that was the, that was the good guy in, in, um, gladiator the film, right? The one that was killed. Yes. 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 Yeah. So and it was, it was his son who absolutely lost his goddamn mind, Joaquin which again, Phoenix. which again brings into question, was it really his son? Mm. I don't know. True. And was it really a stretch for Joaquin to go from uh, Gladiator to the Joker? No, I don't think so. I think he's just crazy. <laughs> um, okay, Brian, sorry to take it off uh, Rome, but l- l- let's go to Brian, though. All right, so mine is a little bit more specific. I went a little bit further into the Roman Empire. I picked the Roman Empire around 100 AD, so this would have been at their peak. Um, so it's the peak of Roman conquering. They got about 5 million square kilometers and they're really selling their way of life around the world. So this way of life has a huge effect on the rest of history going forward and is why I put it at my number one. I have to go back and course correct some of the more unfavorable parts because of how much effect they had on the world. So Hmm. I decided to go back because I have one main goal and that is to adjust modern Christianity. So hear me out. The main stories written about Christ came about 30 AD. So I figured by 100 AD, I'll have some copy to read that I can make some edits to. It's been around for a little bit. It's settled. We can start making some, uh, I'll have enough time before I die at around 40-ish in this time period to make an impact with my edits. So by having a huge influence on the New Testament with my knowledge of the 20th and 21st century movies, I can spice this text up with more engaging stories. Don't lead people to believe damaging rhetoric, but instead just have killer stories to read. So first step, no God. We'll have to say there was one to ease the transition, but he loved us so much that he gave us the keys and said, take it from here. So you get one earth, one shot at life. So take care of your shit. So your future little shit's got a nice place to stay. Uh, Second step, make a bunch of awesome action heroes written in 20th century English. So there's no way 
the intent of said writings can be reinterpreted or misinterpreted in any way. And in this new Bible that we mass produce is almost like a mini library that has everything from Grey's Anatomy to Harry Potter. Super informative, highly entertaining. And now I love the, I'm sorry, but Grey's Anatomy and Harry Potter, are those really on the opposite end of the spectrum? Well, we have to have some sort of, uh, I'll get to this. Wait, it's going to make okay. sense. Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> by, by having uh, items that are of factual nature of some kind that uh, uh, some helping medical issues from there and mm-hmm. entertaining people, we're going to eliminate the dark ages because we're giving them so much knowledge up, up ahead. So we're going to get a thousand freaking years of innovation back. So take the Renaissance and the Enlightenment and move them up to 300 AD. Boom. All of history now shifts, meaning we're a thousand years ahead of where we are right now in the modern times. And now how cool would it be if we got the basics right that early? So no killing in the name of some ghost in the sky that doesn't give a shit about us. No killing other <laughs> folks who had a different ghost, making their stories a little different. Mixed cuisine everywhere. I mean, this means that aviation would have hit at 799 AD. The internet would have hit around 885 AD and Napster in 999. So who knows where we'd be today if we fixed Christianity in the ancient Roman Empire and gave us a thousand years back wow. that we've missed. Okay, let's let's immediately do a podcast as if that happened and it's like 1910 right now. And let's do give me five historical periods you want to visit in the new world. Okay. No. <laughs> Let me go watch some Futurama. <laughs> we're, we're doing this podcast from uh, Europa, one of uh, the moons of Uranus, I think. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. Or Jupiter. Jupiter. I didn't do my research. It I don't Jupiter. actually know. Okay. NASA no longer uses profane language to describe planets. (laughs) You bad boy. That's minus, um, that's minus, uh, sepia. That's, that's a, that's a, that's a a number in this. It's not just a color tone. Um, sorry. Okay. Um, Time has changed. Crap. Okay. Wow. Oh boy. This is really tough. Okay. This is really, really tough because Brian took this thing and also just noticed he's, He's drinking a um, a uh, 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 a brown cow. What's it called? No, spotted cow. Sorry. Oh, spotted cow. Spotted cow. He's, he smuggled it across the border. He smuggled it across. And um, that shouldn't give him a bonus point. And I don't think it will. But, um, <laughs> man, this is so different because Brian just took this and he ballooned it out. He ballooned it out into a whole new world and a whole new, whole new idea, which I, I love that confidence. And I'm also kind of like... It's like, is he trying to take over the show? I don't know. Um, but I do love the confidence. So I'm Nathan, I apologize, but I'm going to go with Brian on the Uber Teardown. Brian, congratulations. You got all three points. Um, I like that you, I like that you gamed it out. I, I like that you went forward and I, I like that you did the math. And I like that. I know now that Napster can be disregarded um, by, by how early can I disregard Napster? You said by, Nine by nine ninety nine. I can I can put Nasser behind me forever. Before the turn of the century. That's great. I love that. That helps me so much. I can really celebrate my my one thousand much better without yeah. Napster there. Well, um, uh, you, you'd also have to worry about Y one K though. Just yes. throwing that. Out. <laughs> and that, and that doesn't roll off the tongue as easy. So I'm not no. as afraid of it, honestly. Um, I, I will say I'm 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 furious at you, Mitch, for denying me the three points. But um, our heavenly Father will forgive you. <laughs> wow. <Not my> new world. 
Um, all right. That brings us to our number fours. Um, you know what? I'm going to do something different today. Um, uh, Brian, give me, give me a number between, um, between Bill Clinton and, um, Teddy Roosevelt. 1956. That's great. And it was at that point. Anyone who, who's, who knows that one? Eisenhower. Bing, 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 bing. Brian, you go first for your number four. There we go. <laughs> I just get to choose twice. All right. All right. So uh, for my number four, I have picked uh, the Roaring Twenties, but being in Chicago and New York. Interesting. Um, okay. So I have this thing because I just want to experience both. I like this time period, but I feel like both cities offered very different vibes during that time. Okay. So this is an easy choice for me because uh, being a bootlegging, Hollywood influence and stock market investor who pulls out in 1928 flapper lover sounds like a pretty damn good time. So uh, mm. music is getting better with jazz and blues out of the Harlem Renaissance. Uh, this is the only time period on my list where I truly look forward to being the bad guy uh, because I get to take no shit as a mid-level mobster and the old Hollywood sense of the myth. Not like the shaking down immigrants for 30% of their income kind of mobster. More like just running from the law as a bootlegger seems kind of fun. Yeah, the, the cutesy version. Cutesy version. <laughs> mm, okay. And then uh, using my mob money to buy large uh, apartment complexes, paying cops to look the other way, and being able to like hide stills behind the bathroom walls and all these apartments that I have all over the city. It just like, seems like a fun fantasy to kind of live... Almost a little lawless, but still kind of in a modern era. And uh, yeah, I think the 1920s has been so ballooned up this great Gatsby period of before everything crashed and we realized that the world could be terrible again. Is this in Chicago you're saying you're going to buy a bunch of apartment complexes? I'm going to have them in both cities and I'm going to bootleg between both cities. Oh, you're going to bootleg between. Okay. Yeah. So I, huh. have, a, I have a multi-city operation so I can have. My my flapper girls and then in New York that I got this cool little club where I get to sit in the corner, kind of like the Green Mill in Chicago. And then, of course, I buy the Green Mill in Chicago because I have that much money from bootlegging. Sure. And uh, that sort so, of stuff. So you're going to push Capone off of his turf at the Green Mill. You're going to take the corner booth. Is that what you're saying? Yes, because I have a okay. multi-city plan. OK. OK. All right. I'm covering I'm covering the uh, continental states here, I'm moving out to L.A. very soon. This, oh, oh, you are okay. Yeah, with a stop in with a stop in Denver. You're gonna you're gonna introduce the talkies. Yes, I want to be around at the talkies with my modern knowledge. So Nathan and I have had this conversation before of like people who overly put movies of this period on a pedestal just because they were first. Mm -hmm. And we, uh, I think it's Nathan's quote. He was like, "We don't make movies like that anymore because we found a better way." <laughs> and it's very, <laughs> very true. So now imagine how cool I am when the first talkies come out. And I'm making Spielberg action flex. <laughs> we could, we could, we could just imagine how much, how many minds we could blow all the way to the moon when we put out Spaceballs in 1929. Yeah, yeah. that'd be amazing. Okay, can, I'm, I'm just gonna play just a regular run of the mill Joe Grunt, who's at the, who's at the movies, you know, during that time, you know, watching a film you guys put up there. Wait. Well, how did he get from his house to the bar? What happened in between? <laughs> he, what, what happened? Is he a ghost? What happened? Is he dead now? What's going on? What was it the hustler where he's like, it's like 15 minutes of Paul Newman driving <laughs> just to get from one 
hustle to another and you're like, why are we showing all these damn driving shots? <laughs> because the oh, audience no. gets lost. <laughs> to sell to sell Buicks. That's what Oh, it was. there all we right, go. Yeah, it. there we go. Yeah. Um, okay, Brian, um, if, if you're bootlegging in this, in this time, what is your preferred booze? Um, and what is the carton or container you are hiding it in as you transport it? Uh, so I think I, I, I'm, I'm doing the stills so I can make anything from, from moonshine to, to bourbon because I have all the options here. Cause I'm starting with that no, base no. layer. Give me one hooch, one bourbon, type of hooch. Bourbon. Bourbon. Okay. Made, made out of what? Of, made outside of Kentucky. Okay. <laughs> and I'm putting it in uh wood crates. Okay. With straw in between the bottles. Okay. And I'm putting that inside a larger wood crate surrounded by soap. Amazing. Okay. Are you, is this made out of corn or is this a wheat whiskey? What is this? I think starting at my, my base of operations started in uh, Chicago. So it's going to be corn based. Just good. Like Excellent. Good. A, a, a good, a good corn fire water. Very nice. Yes. Um, all right. Well, that's, I want to, uh, I want to throw in that there's one thing from the roaring twenties. I almost added this on my list, but there's one thing I wish never had gone away. And that is uh, Art Deco. Yes. Uh, it still, mm. to this day, to me, looks modern. Like, now it looks, it's vintage, but it's also modern all at once. And there's sort of this mythological part of the 20s, this era between the wars that never existed, but is going to live forever somehow. Like, like if you look at the, the aesthetic of The New Yorker, like, yeah. it's all, like, there are little cartoons and the, the fonts. And it's trying to capture this just very romanticized idea of New York that, you know, they want to exist in people's consciousness forever. And, uh, but also it's, it, it was one of those times where it was like, it seemed so excessively happy and hedonistic. And, uh, what was waiting for them at the end of the decade was, oh boy. <laughs> but yeah, it's a good well, we, pick. What we, you know, what people don't know is through that whole decade, basically mothers across the country were sobbing, crying and protesting for people to quit the drink. And uh, for 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 men to return home and uh, pay attention to their families, and also thank you to prohibition, we got income tax as well. Uh, oh, thank God! Uh, yes, right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and uh, also, actually, was it uh, who's uh, one of our greatest American political dynasties? The Kennedys grew their fortune and power during prohibition as well. Um, Joe Kennedy actually had the exclusive distributorship of, uh, it was either Cuddy Sark or, um, what was the other big whiskey from Ireland or Scot or Scotland? Excuse me. Oh uh, my God. Fam famous grouse, maybe mm. McAllen. It may have been, it was like McAllen or Cuddy Sark. One of those two that he had exclusive rights to in America. So, um, but yeah, sorry, uh, off the topic there. Let's go to, that was Brian's number four. Let's go straight to Nathan for his number four. Give it to us, my man. All right. I want to describe a, a person to you. This is a young man. He's in his twenties. He's, uh, cavorting around London. He's, his, his ego's gotten a little big for him. He's staying out night, out, out all night, drinking, gambling, mm -hmm. womanizing, mm -hmm. racking up huge debts. Remind you of anybody? Uh, me. Me. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes on to be the, the dean of St. Paul's Cathedral in London. So that's where the similarities to he and I end. But I'm talking about John Donne, my personal favorite of the Elizabethan poets of the Elizabethan era in London. So we're talking about 1590 
1610. That is absolutely where I would want to be. You're gonna you're gonna meet so many personalities, and you're going to experience high art at a level that has rarely existed at any other point in history. So other than John Dunn, the colorful character I just mentioned, who mm-hmm. he had 12 children, he was uh, absolutely living a lavish lifestyle in his younger days and then becomes, uh, he's, his poetry is still well-renowned. Um, some phrases that he introduced are like, for whom the bell tolls and no man is an island. Uh, then he you know, went on to become a lawyer and then a, a man of the cloth fascinating character would love to hang out with him then you've got ben johnson another renowned playwright who also killed a man in a duel two armies faced off and they said we'll send out our toughest guy you send out our toughest guy one-on-one they sent out the playwright and poet and this motherfucker killed a guy (laughs) Um, he's he actually uh uh he actually it's 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 rumored that he wrote the epitaph for shakespeare i don't know how true that is uh, but then you've got Christopher Marlowe, another playwright who was also a spy who was stabbed in the eye, allegedly over uh, a dispute of a bill in a tavern, but could have possibly been because he was a spy. So you could hang out with him or you could hang out with Sir Walter Raleigh, who was the adventurer and poet. Everybody was writing poetry. Uh, there you go. Ah. But he he carved poetry into Queen Elizabeth's window. He was an adventurer. He traveled to South America. He popularized the idea of the lost city of gold and he was eventually executed because the guy just couldn't stop. Can't stop, won't stop. And then of course you've got the granddaddy of them all, the supreme leader, William Shakespeare. You can head to Shakespeare's Globe and see the actual Shakespearean plays as they were first presented. Um, And then you have, of course, Queen Elizabeth herself, one of the great women uh, characters in history who achieved a level of power despite the patriarchal society. Um, So all of these people, all of the sort of Renaissance art and music concentrated in one city at the time, a city I happen to, which may surprise you guys, be very fond of. So Elizabethan London is uh, actually, now that I'm thinking about number four seems a little low, but uh, that's my number four. (laughs) Okay. Now, and I, uh, this guy, uh, John Dunn, um, he, he, he was a man about town. He was known to be a, a hearty um, uh, enjoyer of the women, hearty enjoyer of the taverns, all those kind of things. Uh, but later on in his life, it, it said that he, he lost a wife t- uh, during childbirth. Yeah, he their, was, their 12th child. Their 12th child. He was forever depressed. Um, his father-in-law would never give him his blessings. So they had to get married in secret as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, a lot of interesting stuff. Also, I thought maybe this is why you mentioned him. And also, if it is like this is very flattering, he lived uh, at a house that one of his um, uh, benefactors owned um, called Mitchum. So that's really flattering. Thank you. <laughs> he did. Uh, he did. Um, the, wow. Yeah. yeah he li- I believe that was outside of London. And after his wife died, he had to move or maybe it was no, maybe it was when he moved back to London. Yeah. But he did live in Mitchum. That's true. What were, uh, which what which was, of course, named after the great movie star Robert Mitchum. Yes, it was. Yes, yes. <laughs> who who the, also was able to travel back in time and make himself known. Yeah. So. What were these years again, Nathan? Uh, I, I'm thinking roughly 1590 to 1610. Um, yeah, there's some leeway on either side. I know Walter Raleigh wasn't executed until much later. but uh, This just reminds me of one of my favorite stories about spies from this era. It might have been so Queen Mary was before Elizabeth because she was Princess Elizabeth. Uh, yeah. 
so either way, there was there this the whole story of the spies being sent out, and there was a guy named John D. Who I think I don't know if he was working for Elizabeth or for Mary, but the Queen used to sign her letters to him because he was out spying in other countries. Um, she liked zero zero because it made eyes. That was kind of like the look. And then he would sign his letters back using his favorite lucky number seven to offer protection. But to one up her, he would sign his letters back to her 007. So he was one of the first British spies. And then that is the rumor to where um, Ian Fleming stole it from for Mr. James Bond. That's pretty good. Yes, that's, that's one of my favorite facts from that period. That's, that's a great story. That's that's like when I mentioned Christopher Marlowe, who is Christopher Marlowe is one of the and I am I am absolutely against the perpetrating uh, the conspiracy theory that Shakespeare did not write Shakespeare's plays. I think he absolutely did. But uh, Marlowe is one of the people who's been thrown around and Marlowe's a fascinating character, but he was only 29 years old and he was well known as a playwright and he was uh, most likely uh, if not a homosexual and bisexual and, and certainly uh, a guy who was getting around and having a lot of fun with a lot of people, uh, but then somehow believed he could do all of these things and be a spy. And uh, just I don't, the, the endless intrigue. Again, it's another thing like with the people in Rome is there's been so many uh, dramatizations of these characters that I just want to meet the real, the genuine article. Yeah. Um, and there's been a lot of a lot of fun ones. My most recent uh, one I like is uh, uh, David Mitchell playing Shakespeare in the show Upstart Crow, um, which is obviously just a ludicrous version of it. But it's I mean, it, it's fun. But yeah, meeting meeting that distilling all of these portrayals and meeting the actual human being and seeing what made them tick. That would just be an. I mean, that's if there is. If there is an afterlife where I get to choose what I do, this is what I would do. I would yeah. go meet these people and see what they were like as human beings and not as ideas and fictitious characters. You, you think that, John, I mean, obviously everyone then was drunk all the time, right? I mean, like people were just drinking. But um, do, do you think that it was he was truly an evolved uh, person in where like he sort of moved beyond like the normal um, social mores? Or do you think he he had like a little bit of a good screw loose, you know, where he, you know, he was able to. Are we to, talking to, about Shakespeare or Marlowe? No, no, no. A Dunn. Oh, John Dunn. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think to be as exceptional as all of these people were to still be talked about hundreds of years later. When you, yeah. when you look at our present time and the people who they're going to be talking about 400 years from now, yeah, several of them had a screw loose. So yeah. I think yeah. I think the eccentricities that we would actually find would be pretty amazing. Yeah, I, I, I in, in my short re- research and reading about him, I really enjoyed his use of allegories and like juxtaposition and whatnot. Um, I thought that was very cool. And uh, I, I now am a convert. And I will be, um, be going back and reading some done. So um that was Nathan's number four. And I, I just realized I forgot to give you the scores for number five. So I should do that as well. Um, well, I get zero for number five. 
Well, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, you know that. I, 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 I should have said I need to tell Brian right. what his score was. So, Brian, I loved you bringing up Howard Zinn and um, sort of the uh, the expected truths of, of history as taught to us when we were younger, but throwing them on their head and, and giving us something new. So I gave you a bonus point for doing your own Howard Zinning on number five. So you got four points Holy um, shit. for number five. An unprecedented occurrence during Ubersenko. Awesome. Uh, number four also, Brian, um, I, 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 was, I was a little I, – I, I, I wanted to hear more about your movie take. So I'm only giving you two for your number four. And Nathan, uh, just by inspiring me uh, in a short period of time with Mr. John Dunn, I'm giving you three for number four. Ooh. And don't think – don't think the next round is going to be as easy, boys. So, um, all right. This is Here this comes- is like we're we're doing like a, a Golden State Warriors versus the Trailblazers. Just Steph Curry and Dame just tossing up threes. This is everyone is launching from the logo. All right. Yes. Um, all right, Brian. Give us your number three favorite historical period to visit. All right. So number three. I have the American West, 1840s-ish. Ooh, so, dangerous. Woo. Yeah, so I have this purely on there to appease the reptilian side of me. This is my my Westworld desires, if you will, to live without laws. It's oh. a side of me I'm not proud of, but would very much like to experience. And I am well aware that being white allows me to visit this time period without initial consequence. And it would be kind of fun to be the Robin Hood in this era if you could, to take the outlaw aspect of it to make yourself the good guy. So to being able to um, to make wages that benefit those less fortunate and in that time and kill people you determine to be bad on a whim with little to no recourse. So here's what I mean. On the heroic side of this venture yeah. into time, just uh, it'd be great to like stroll up and just shoot a slave owner in the face. Or to murder a bunch of settlers who are tossing natives out of their land. Or challenge a railroad tycoon to a duel and pull the old Back to the Future 3 boiler plate bulletproof vest trick so you always win the duel. And yes, mm. it would be fun to rob a bank. Yeah. That is the selfish way that yeah. is one of my selfish things I want to do that only benefits me. It's my Red Dead Redemption desire to be there. And I feel like it would be it'd be cool to have uh, to rob a, a bad bank and then use the funds to help some of these other people. Sure. Oh, fuck that. Like, rob a good bank. Who cares? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I will rob the nearest bank. Question. Question. Which which railroad mogul would you prefer to kill in a duel? Vanderbilt or um, Minnesota's own James J. Hill? Oof. See, now this is where I wish I did more research on uh, railroad tycoons because all of my research lately has been just transcontinental, which doesn't happen until the 1870s. Okay. Uh, so I don't know who was behind that. But I mean, Vanderbilt just sounds like a guy who's ready, who needs to be shot. Yeah. Okay. Like that's a name, like, especially if it's like if you ever met a Rockefeller or something during that time in the roaring 20s, I feel like I would have tried sticking it to a Rockefeller. Sure. So uh, we'll, we'll go with but Vanderbilt. You mean, you mean violently, right? Not. Uh sexually of course okay all right okay you just said sticking it too and I, I didn't know what kind of phrase we're using so i just wanted to clarify but yeah okay american west what other um is there a certain state you want to go to is there a certain landscape you want to explore um or is this just about um killing bad guys um and i'm mean, like th- this just sounds like the show dexter but in in leather chaps and 10 gallon hats 
And there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> that's exactly what I want. I think uh, Utah would be an interesting place to explore. Okay. If that's the backdrop that we all know from the Hollywood myths of the the raising canyons and things like that. Sure. Uh, um, I feel like this would be a cool time to visit either way, like Wyoming, Colorado, because have, we haven't gotten that far. This is before 1849ers gold yeah. rush type stuff. So I feel like that's... And this is this is during the time when um, Wyoming, Colorado was the name of one state. So I think you're right by saying that. Yeah. There we go. Um, so yeah. I think it's... <laughs> Is that is that is that true? What? I- no, no, they they, they oh. both were not states at that point, but Correct. but but this, that general territory, yeah, okay, yeah, 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 some general vicinity in the Louisiana Purchase at this time, <laughs> <laughs> yes. in which I am not affecting natives and just in the open land, going willy nilly. That would be fantastic. It's it's I mean, an interesting period because it in such a short time, like a, within a hundred years of that romanticized era, it became such a worldwide phenomenon of the the film of the western the genre it's a whole genre it's a huge part of cinema mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so many of the best of them were actually shot in europe yeah uh, and it's yeah the myth it's one of those where the myth is so enormous we're seeing it in real life would just shine so much light on what was actually happening and what is an invention of sergio leone or uh john ford or whoever What's the yeah. Western, uh, the man who shot Liberty Valance, whatever the last line of that movie is, is uh, when the legend becomes fact, print the legend. And that's pretty much what the Wild West has become in modern Hollywood yeah. tales is like that's that's the way history was, because it feels good to us. One of, yeah. one of the most uh, ahead of its time movies ever, just as yes. an aside, for sure. Yeah. And to, to your point, too, about being. 1840, 1850, you go a hundred years into the future, we're in plush post-war um suburbanite 1950s life. Talk about the biggest 180 in terms of a century from that to that. It, it's, it's pretty crazy. Well, and, and for well, for white know, people, yes. For white people. <laughs> yeah, I, think, I think it goes without saying anything we're talking about is coming from a place of privilege. Yes. Um, and, you know, p- people don't realize the majority of a cowboy's life was just trying to keep cows going in one direction. I mean, it's, it, it wasn't pretty work. It's, you know, it's backbreaking. It's ass breaking. It's, you know, it's but your legs are just, tired at the end of the day. All I would of just it, have so. more guns and then just take the things I needed as I was going. Sure. So I don't sure. have to worry about cows. Like, I'll just get a cow in the next town by shooting that cow's owner. Getting what I need and moving on. And that was Brian, your number three. Thank you so much for sharing your affinity uh, for cowboys and rodeos. Um, That was wow. That was so Westy of you. God, that was Westy. (laughs) Love it. Uh, Nathan, moving right along. Give us your uh, numero tres, please. So number three comes from a period of my life that uh, a period of history that I started studying really early on in my life that I, I developed a great interest in. And then it waned as I got older and realized just how fucking incredibly depressing it is. Uh, so I'm going to just focus on the very end of it when we came mm-hmm. out of that. I'm talking about the end of the American Civil War. Whoa. Oh. Specific, specifically the end. Blood-soaked reconstruction. Oh, I love it. Please, please describe. Well, here's the thing I would like to point out about the Civil War that sure. affects 
the modern day is that there was a group of people who were marching around carrying a Confederate flag mm-hmm. and they caused the complete annihilation of their own infrastructure, mm-hmm. uh, economic collapse, the, the death of so many Americans that if you do the math, it comes out to about 9-11 every four days for a three and a half year period. All the while, they were holding uh, millions of people in slavery and raping and torturing them and with everything that all those wonderful things that come with slavery. So those people to, to be at the surrender of Lee to Grant at Appomattox Courthouse and just see those people have to get their asses handed to them and admit that they were wrong and failed would just be so satisfying. And... That's what I think about whenever I see people in today's climate here in 2020 carrying the Confederate flag around as a source of pride. I would just love to take all of them with me and watch General Lee lead his ragged army that hadn't been fed in days and have to lay down their arms to the actual heroic Americans like Grant and Sherman and Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain, people who actually were on the right side of history and tell them to go back go back to the south and fend for themselves without their free slave labor then go fuck themselves and whatever you do don't pick up those confederate flags again because it doesn't end well that's what i would really like to do and it's all that for states rights it just seems a little too much and and which which right was it which of the which of the rights was it they liked oh the right to have slaves yeah that seems that's why it's bad but then so so i i i'll i'll get off my my uh, soapbox there and and i will say to make it a, a little a little lighter is uh you boys might remember uh this is where i would intervene much like brian was talking about earlier this is the one place i would like to intervene after another hero of mine conan o'brien set up a, a similar fantasy scenario in his studio at late night when he set up a zip line where he reenacted ford's theater and he ziplined from the top of his studio down and scissor kicked uh, John Wilkes Booth <laughs> and, and prevented him from assassinating Abraham Lincoln. And I think that would be that would be an absolute blast to, to try and circumvent that assassination. In fact, somebody I work with, uh, well, we worked we worked together a while ago and we were we were talking about like, oh, if if this person and that person happened to. Uh, star in a TV show, what would it be? And we played that hypothetical game. And then finally, we, we did it for me and her. And we came across, uh, well, we would be we would be detectives, but we wouldn't really be detectives because detectives didn't exist. So like, I would be like a an early photographer developer, like in my dark room, getting black and white prints of Civil War photos. And, and you'd be some sort of chemist. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she'd be Excuse some me. sort of a chemist who is, you know, coming up with concoctions that didn't work. But we would we'd be in, in Civil War era D.C. and we'd just be solving crimes. But then the season finale or the, the series finale would be we'd capture John Wilkes Booth. That's mm. the one guy who I'd really love to just. Yeah, just nail him when he was when he was uh before he could commit the crime and then i want to throw out my other favorite fact uh just a random fact that's so weird is Mm -hmm. the first major engagement of the civil war took place at a uh manassas junction virginia in the homestead of a wilmer mclean 
And there was actually two battles there. And Wilmer McLean said, fuck this, I'm leaving. And he moved to the little sleepy town of Appomattox Courthouse, Virginia, where in 1865, on his land, they the two armies met again and it was in his living room where Lee and Grant signed the surrender that ended the war. So the war essentially began in his front yard and ended in his living room. Wow. Wow. Is that, uh, was that on purpose or just a cruel joke for him and he hated visitors, but he made a great lemonade. Like what's the, (laughs) it was, it was just a, just a coincidence. Just one of those weird random factoids of history. Wow. That's incredible. That's incredible. Um, then I, I, yeah, freaking make them put their noses in their own shit. That's what I say too. <laughs> I, I love, I love that very much. Um, those are y'all's, uh, sorry to boil it down to that, but I'm, you know, it, a little bit. Yeah. That's it. That's number three. Let, let me score you out here, boys. Um, Brian, you made us talk about cowboys and I freaking love that. Uh, I'm going to give you, uh, Three points for that one. Um, and because you also chose the right railroad tycoon to murder, which is Vanderbilt. Um, thank you for not killing. Because without that, I wouldn't have been able to go visit the James J. Hill house in St. Paul as a young third grader on a school trip. So um, <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, Nathan, um, I love your end of the Civil War thing. I, I wanted... Uh, See, I was going to give you two points, but then you gave us that fact to end us out, and you just, you just know, you just know how to how to give me what I want. So, thank you very much. That's three points for you as well. I'm I'm, I'm feeling generous today, guys. All right, let's let's move <laughs> right along. Uh, let's 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 keep it steaming forward, Nathan. Let's go to you for your number two. I'm very curious what this is because I looked, and I don't know. I don't know what you're going to say here, but I have an idea. Go for it. Uh, May sixteenth, nineteen ninety two. Yeah. Uh. In your research, I'm sure you found this. It was when Weird Al released his parody of Nirvana's Smells Like Teen Spirit called Smells Like Nirvana. That's what it was? <laughs> no. <laughs> that was that was what I found in my research. I I'm just going to... I thought it was um, a Teacher's Day in Malaysia you were referring to. Um, <laughs> well, that's that's nice, too. I'm glad that happened. Nice. I, oh, okay. All right. Yeah. I, or, or I was thinking, it, or it was the birth of Jeff Skinner. Huh. You guys know Jeff Skinner? No. Oh, yeah. He's a 28-year-old Canadian hockey player. Oh. Uh, he, plays, <laughs> he, he plays for the Buffalo Sabres, and he was the 2011 Rookie of the Year. So oh, nice. that's what I thought. Yeah. Oh, man. I'm striking gold here. Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> well, okay, Nathan, go for I it. Just, well, I, I'm just going to tell you what I did on May 16th, 1992. Wait, is this the first time you kissed a girl? Oh, God. We're off by it. Over it. <laughs> Wait, let's see. We're off by a solid 10 years. Okay. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, No, so uh, I woke up in uh, my parents' home in Roseville, Illinois, and uh, I ate a nice breakfast, and I went to school in the last week of school. Uh, No, it was mostly peanut butter toast for me. I never was a big eggs guy. Oh, very nice. Probably some peanut butter toast, maybe some bacon. Like okay. grapefruit Ooh. juice. Yeah. Ooh. Mm. Oh, oh it put, put the bacon on the peanut butter toast in the future is delicious. And you know, you, well, I was, you, I was a young man at the time. I, mean, I know, I know, <laughs> I know, but 
But you know, you always have to describe a meal for me on this podcast. Right? <laughs> That's true. So then my mom went to the uh, cupboard and got out the paprika. And <laughs> no, but then my, my mom packed me my my uh, my lunch in my Chicago Bulls uh, plastic uh, lunchbox. And she sent my sister and I off to school. And it was uh-huh. at the very end of school, the last week of school. So mm-hmm. pretty much the teasters had checked out. Summer weather was coming in. We yeah. spent most of the day out at recess playing basketball, pretending we were Michael Jordan or Scottie Pippen, sure, uh, sure, sure. swinging on the swings, thrown up because we were on the uh, what was called the ocean wave, which I believe now has been outlawed by uh, most international organizations as a form of torture sure. because it was just wooden. It was a series of wooden planks in an octagon on metal chains around a pole. And that was apparently how we were supposed to have fun. Uh, <laughs> we lost That's, seven good men that day. But that sounds vaguely familiar, actually. And I'm, I'm trying to, yeah, sorry. Keep it going, probably, keep it probably had a different name at, at your school, but yeah. But then, uh, so we had a, we had a fun day with all my friends and then uh, came home and just immediately went outside to play at my neighbors were the, the, the Cole Pleasure family next door and the singletons and uh several other families in the neighborhood and we we played basketball on little hoops because we were like we were like five or six you know and then our parents brought us in and i had a nice dinner and played with my dog penny cocker spaniel and then we watched game seven of the chicago bulls versus the new york knicks and i was so young and so innocent that i didn't even realize how much weight a game seven carried i was just (laughs) I was just so sure that, of course, Michael Jordan's going to win. He's Michael Jordan. This sh- Since I had been conscious as a person, Michael Jordan hadn't lost a game. So why would he lose now? And sure enough, the Bulls won by 30 some points. But the Bulls started the game and I was watching. And then halftime came and I ran back outside again. And I had the little basketball hoop and my mom could watch from the kitchen sink. Just watching over me, make sure I was safe. And I was shooting baskets and she would yell, Nathan, the game's starting again. The game's starting again. And I just was having so much fun playing basketball that I didn't come in until halfway through the third quarter when they made me because they knew they knew me well as a kid. And they knew I would want to see Michael Jordan dispatch Patrick Ewing and John Starks and the New York Knicks and the Bulls won and the future was bright. They had several years of domination ahead of them. And then I laid my head down with my two parents and the two cars and the one sister and the dog in the beautiful little town of Roseville with my whole future ahead of me, May 16th, 1992. Wow. With a Confederate flag blowing in the wind. <laughs> no. Well, that, that was three houses down. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, you know, it's interesting you, you talk about this because I also remember hating John Starks as a child. And I, and I was in Minnesota, so I was rooting for the Timberwolves who, you know, couldn't, couldn't even sniff the keisters of the Knicks. Um, so... <laughs> Um, what a beautiful, do, do you remember what day of the week it was? I don't, I, I mean, it was a Saturday. So, oh, fuck. Yeah. Well, that throws my whole thing out of, out of, out of whack. <laughs> well, or maybe it was, I don't know. Well, that's what the internet said, but you can never trust the internet, right? You can't, <laughs> but, um, what a, that's, that's amazing. That's, um, I may, enough. I may be confusing it with the next year when they beat the Knicks in, in game six. Sure. All, all I, all I remember was it was a game against the Knicks, but I was, I was racking my brain. Cause I was thinking, Oh, th- this had to have been a bulls thing. Right. And then I'm like, wait, but may the, the playoffs 
weren't done yet. So it wasn't a championship thing. And I, and I didn't think about Jordan extinguishing the Knicks in fine, like, you know, you know, um, knife to the throat fashion like he did that year. Cause I mean, there, there's no better defeat, uh, or, or, or kill if you will, in NBA in a playoff series than a game seven. I mean, to, mm-hmm. to say no to someone, I, I also thought perhaps, um, it was, you know, uh, the, the day that you were, you were trying to mark the day that you and peacekeepers withdrew from Sarajevo. That's also what I was, you know, on my, it's a big one. On well, my I, radar. I, I, um, I thought about that as I laid my little head down to sleep, but it was an yeah. afterthought really. What? And then the other one I thought, this is the last one I thought, um, was that that was the day that your favorite horse pine bluff won the 118th Preakness. Um, so I had actually uh, placed a pretty significant wager on uh, Daddy's little grandpa. So <laughs> <laughs> I would, I was, I thought you would uh, we would uh, react aggressively to that insult I just uh, sent your way. But um, that that's Nathan's number two, Brian. Let's move to your number two. Uh, keep the train uh, steaming westward towards that ocean. Yes. So this is before we started going westward for this period sure. of time. Sure. And uh, this period that I've chosen is probably the longest stretch of time that I would want to affect because there's multiple events that happen in this time period. So okay. I have the American Revolution starting in 1774, and I would come back home after 1795-ish. So okay. the reason why... I want to be a fly on the wall during the writing of the Declaration of Independence. Like, peek my head out and offer unsolicited suggestions. Like, hey, Benny F., Tommy J., you too, John, Robert, and Roger. This is just a friendly suggestion, but you may want to put like a bold underline, maybe italicize that all men are created equal part. Plus, trust me, it'll go a long way if you just really, really emphasize that. Or maybe change men to humans, something like that. It, it's... You know, we, got, we want to get the chicks in there, too, and maybe all the other folks we may be causing problems for. And uh, since we've stolen a bunch of this land, especially if we keep going, maybe mandate like most of it's theirs. Just a thought. Might want to put that in writing. You know, the king doesn't care, but we might want to write that down. And I almost feel like this time period would be very similar to now in terms of divisiveness. Um, and the reason I picked 1774, two years before the Declaration of Independence. Howard's in. Howard's in. Yeah. Okay. What about it? Uh, defend that that divisiveness you're talking about. Give me some some examples, please. So loyalists versus patriots. So this is what I want to feel like. What is the air feel like in 1774, where we're building up to the separation? How is it between people who want to stay a part of the UK? And people who want to separate. What is that tension like in those conversations in the average pub on the street? Um, um, quick uh, point of order. Did the United Kingdom exist at that point? Probably not. Whatever you want to say. England. Ooh, okay. Okay. No, I'm just I'm just trying to get facts straight here. Okay. I'm sorry. Okay, I'm a modern boy. <laughs> um so between like the loyalists thinking everything is dandy. And then what we call the patriots then wanting to make changes. I just find it very ironic now that being a patriot means the exact opposite. It means just staying with the order the way things are just because that's the way it is. Uh, So just blind loyalty to one side of the aisle. And also, I think it would be helpful to be in the Constitution writer's room as well, either adding some specifics or like an expiration date to the Second Amendment 
Like, dudes, this will make total sense right now with a bunch of red coat stragglers and uh, us building a fresh government that could repeat the past. I understand this, but let's give this a rewrite maybe every 50 years or so at a minimum. Let's give this mm-hmm. thing an old uh, spell check. So that's why I have the American Revolution on there. One uh, big time period that affected me right before my Egyptian phase. Unfortunately, <laughs> it's when I saw Sorry. Mel Gibson, the Patriot, is when I started doing my research, realizing how badly historically inaccurate that movie is that I started doing a lot more uh, American Revolution research and kind of got into it. So well, you you have made my mother's day um, because I told my mother about the topics today and my mom's number one was the American Revolution. And so oh. she will be so glad that you brought it up. I, I am here to make her day and I am so glad that I did. Yeah. And the only in, reason we're here is because of Mel Gibson. <laughs> and that's a problem. I know. <laughs> in my in my uh my grandmother's house, so my my mom's parents had my mother late in life, so they were born very early in the twentieth century. And so their house was a bit antiquated even when I was a kid going to see it. But they had built a my grandpa had put in a projector hidden behind like a piece of artwork. Like for mm-hmm. like slides and, and like films, like yeah. rolling films, uh, pretty ahead of his time, I like to think. Yeah. But it was it was a picture of a colonial family walking home from church in the country's a very idyllic thing. And then on either side, he had like in the circular portraits, the old fashioned, like sort of oval things. Yeah. Portraits mm-hmm. of Martha and George Washington. This was on my grandma's <laughs> wall as a kid. <laughs> and I. And I asked my mom, I was like, did you ever get an explanation for that? And she said, well, not really. And so I don't know. But um, but also, I mean, my mom's read the all she's read biographies of John Adams and Ben Franklin and whatnot. And, and she read the she read the Hamilton autobiography or not mm-hmm. autobiography that Inspired. the music was based on yeah. years before it came out. So so, Brian, uh, just speaking from. Uh, good old Mama Hen and Fent. Thank you so much. No problem. Okay. And if I ever want to decorate my home theater setup, I'm definitely going to put up portraits of the Washington. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, I'm curious. Beyond help, beyond changing history, beyond changing the Constitution, what would you want to do in this time period? I feel like I'd be a good like bar owner during this time. I feel like I, huh. I, I would, I'd want to like be the, the the again the fly on the wall, hearing all these conversations happening. But I feel like I would like to be a bipartisan bar. So there was no like, this isn't a patriot bar or loyalist bar. It's just the bar in uh, some little town. And it'd be cool to have like um, like a like a Mount Vernon-esque manor. Like I wouldn't be of such royalty to have that high up to have that amount of land being just a bar owner during this time. But mm-hmm. to be able to visit some sort of establishment like that, just to see it as it was built, as it was designed during that time. Sure. Be cool. Plus, you'd probably see. Let's see. This is seventeen. You'd probably start seeing the initial construction of the uh, the White House at this time, which would be probably pretty cool. Yeah. So, um, I also at, at at those times they drank beer for every every meal of the day. So um, I would be raking in the dough. <laughs> you would be making some good do re mi, as a uh, uh, singer would say. Thank Sterling you very much. Silver coin. Yes. All right. So give me, or I will give you your scores for uh, your number twos. Uh, Nathan, you painted your picture so expertly, so specifically. 
And I, I too hate John Starks. Um, I wish <laughs> I, I, I wish I had, I had called Howard's in on you, so you could have given me more details. Um, you're, you're giving. I'm giving you the full three there, uh, Brian. Um, I, Unlike I, John Starks in Game Four of the '94 Finals. What? <laughs> oh, oh! Improvise. Howard's in plus one. Nathan, you get four for that round. Holy yeah. crap! <laughs> Unprecedented in the moment. Up it, Javoy. First time. You heard it here on Uber Senko. <laughs> Ryan, I, I, I love all your ideas of helping to form a better nation going forward for us currently and for the generations to come. I'm giving you two on your answer, plus one for defending your Howard's in call very well. That's three for you awesome. there. Okay, Brian, we already heard you number one. Correct, I'm out. Of, of being there during the Great Pyramid. So, Nathan, we're coming right back to you. Give us your number one. What is it? Please indulge us. Um. My number one, this is, I mean, this won't surprise either of you or anybody who knows me and probably anybody who's listened to this show is Swingin' London, 1960s, about 62 to 1970. I want to be there for the whole thing. I want to just, I want to drink it in. If both of you have been visiting, yes, there there will be a lot of drinking. Um, I tried to recreate it from two, 2010 to 2013, and I drank a lot in that period, but uh, I couldn't quite come up with the magic. But uh, I think in terms of the culture of the last hundred years, this certainly is what affected me the most, and I think its fingerprints are on everything that came afterwards. Um, and I'm going to try to edit myself here because this is something I could go on about for hours, but uh, from the very early 60s, you had some some sort of bohemian characters started to play the blues in clubs. Uh, it was a little bit out there. It was a little bit strange. And so you had, you had characters like that would eventually become the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and, uh, various other bands that would spawn other great, well-known artists as diverse as David Bowie and Elton John. And they're, they're all interconnected and, uh, you can weave a web and, and, point fingers at all of that but it all starts early in london and then it, it swelled into this movement that sort of took over the world and um, sort of uh, sorry nathan howard's in howard's in yeah um were the stones really that influential give me three reasons why they influenced uh music going forward or i don't know yeah uh well there was absolutely no other rock band in america until the stones became uh huge in america that uh also uh no basically i would say the two bands led zeppelin included but the stones first actually brought the blues back to america where it had it sort of faded and then uh the stones sort of popularized it you could say bastardized and that would be totally accurate uh and then there's no other band that had still had a cultural impact to this day other than the rolling stones Bingo, bango. That was an easy Howard's in bonus. You threw me a softball when you gave me the stones. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but like, I mean, aside from music, which I could go on for all day. Well, it, I mean, I guess it culminates in 1967 with the Beatles releasing Sgt. Peppers and a young man named Jimi Hendrix showing up in London. And all these wonderful musicians had been doing wonderful things. And then Jimi Hendrix just came over and tossed all of them in the garbage and rewrote the playbook. Uh, but also at that time, you know, the the word zeitgeist is thrown around a lot, but it really feels like it was there because 
uh, the film started reflecting it and the comedy started reflecting it. Like, uh, I'm thinking early, my, uh, my name is Michael Caine and I am now a movie star. Uh, you know, films like Alfie and the Ipris file, he's sort of has this everyman look, but also within the sort of swinging technicolor uh, aesthetic that has been developing. And then on the subversive side, like the music was very much undercutting civilization uh as we knew it at the time it was throwing away societal norms and then in comedy there were things uh like marty feldman and um oh god i'm i'm blanking on a few of the the early show at last the 1948 show was one uh, a few things are leading up to it and these a, a group of young writers had been working on several shows together and then in 1969 they all coalesce and form monty python and so yeah. you've got the Beatles, you've mm. got the Stones, you've got Led Zeppelin, you've got all of these people forming into things that are still so relevant and influential to this day. And they're all mm -hmm. hanging out together. I would love to have just been there the whole time. Just even if I was just a guy who got to go to the parties for the whole decade, meet all these people, see their creative process. Um, it was, yeah, it was mad. I, I tried to recreate it there. I visited those sites. I... You know, I, I met a I met a couple people who who were were there, and I tried to soak in their stories and whatnot. But uh, it'll never be the same as actually being there. Swing in London, the 1960s, to me, is absolutely. I mean, I still every day I listen to the music. I appreciate a bit of the comedy. That's my number one. Easy. That was great, Nathan. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> that was excellent. Uh, you. You get you you hit it all. You hit all the holes that I was looking for you to hit there. Um, and uh, Does that really blow you to the moon? <laughs> no, you did. That blew me to the moon. Um, and I will give you your final score here. Uh, I'm I'm going to give you the three points because I liked how you you described um, some things and kept a little hidden, and then you you know gave us these these giant these giant hits, these giant bombs that, uh, that we all love still today. Um, so that gives you four points for the final round. So, as I tally these scores, uh, I'll give you a topic to talk about. A um, uh, 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 favorite streets in downtown Chicago. Go. Wells. Downtown. That's a good one. Wells is pretty good. It's, um, it's, it's, it's fun north and south of the river. That's true. I think and, I... And I've, I've tallied the scores. Sorry to cut you <laughs> off, Brian. Here we are. Yeah! <laughs> yeah! But I am wow, should, I, should I take my shirt off now? What? Uh. <laughs> yes, please. Why have rip you it, waited so long? <laughs> rip, rip it in two. Uh, I am pleased to announce that the winner of top five historical periods you would love to visit is none other than the number one cool guy. Uh, man, he's nice. Woo! He's a good dude. Brian Ernst. Woo! <laughs> Nice job, Brian, with a score of 15 to Nathan's 14. Nathan, you made a valiant comeback. Um, uh, but but Brian's plus one Howard's in bonus uh, for his number two pushed him over the finish line. And now, as we said at the beginning of the show, it's time for the Fast Five to end off the show. So here yeah. it is, the top five Billie Eilish-style night shirts. Number five. <laughs> The ninth grade basketball winter holiday roundup shootout spectacular nightshirt. 
How big is a 14-year-old boy or girl? It remains a mystery, but Carl thought he'd give it a shot by airballing it and ordering all triple XLs. This is the nightshirt that gets better as it thins, but you still only wear it Tuesday through Thursday on account of the egregious teal and purple color combo. Come on, Carl. Number four, the art museum or yachting regatta, many flags, French nightshirt. Back in the 90s, before your parents had to pay for you, they did cultural things like going to a museum, or was it that mom took sailing lessons for a bit? Either way, this shirt has a bunch of flags and a little bit of French. After coming down to breakfast on a Saturday morning, you're pretty sure mom had a crush on the boat captain as she gets that far away look in her eyes when this oversized nightshirt enters the room. The flag's nightshirt is very long for when everyone used to tuck their shirts into their pleated shorts with braided belts. Number three. <laughs> the 1998 NBA champion Utah Jazz nightshirt. Your Aunt Karen couldn't believe she found an NBA championship t-shirt basically untouched at the Goodwill for only a quarter, just before your birthday, no less. And an extra, extra large will fit enough, right? Happy birthday. Thanks, Aunt Karen. You wear this <laughs> nightshirt only on mail-less Sundays as you softly leak emotional tears re-watching The Last Dance. Number two. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm standing up for that one. That's... <laughs> thank you. Thank you. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Pizza Champ nightshirt. Backwards and pepperoni and cowabunga dudes. Pizza grease and all. This nightshirt is worn Fridays through Thursdays and every day in between. Number one. The Spuds McKenzie Budweiser nightshirt. It's 80s soft, back when you could advertise beer to kids on the TV with a cute dog. Your dad mentions he swaddled you once in it while in a fuss when there was no blankets near. And wait, but wait, hold on. Oh God, he won't stop talking. Dad, just please. I can see you're wriggling nervously. Not sure if you want to share this next idea in your head. Maybe don't. Oh dear God, he is. I'm trapped. Oh dear dad, please God no. And there he's gone. The mouth opened. Your dad informs you he's pretty sure he was wearing that shirt the night you were made. But it's funny and interesting because he was actually drunk on Coors Banquet, not Budweiser. So there's that. Ha ha. Good memories, he says, as he tousles your hair and whistles off to the couch. You make a solemn vow to only drink when it's Miller time. You never don this night shirt again. <laughs> and that's this week's edition of Uber Cinco. Please do rate and review our show on Apple and send in your suggestions at bizbear.biz. And please tell your friends and loved ones about Uber Cinco if you've enjoyed. We love that hearty wom. And send your negative retorts to help at comcast.com. The room of guitars <laughs> with a lot of pluck has been... Brian Ernst. And the main, main himself, perched high above Old Irving Park, has been... Nathan Hennenfen. And from the heart of the Sopo Co. Shopping District, I've been Mitch Brinkman. And as BizBear always says, blow your nose and text a friend your whereabouts before diving into Jared Leto's limo. Auf Wiedersehen and adios. <laughs>You've just listened to Uber Cinco, a production of UBK Studios. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your fine podcasts from. If you like what you hear and want to support the show, please visit our Patreon site at patreon.com slash ubkstudios. Every little bit helps us keep the lights on and the bill collectors at bay. Keep tabs on us on all the social media at UBK Studios, and most importantly, subscribe to our YouTube channel so you can see that we really are just a bunch of good Midwestern boys. Yeah.